0: If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. We're in James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom. And I want you to know this, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. So the God's wisdom. Versus the world's wisdom, and there is a huge difference. Remember, the theme of James is genuine faith produces genuine works. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Works are not involved in salvation. God does not love you more because you do more works. You're not greater in the kingdom of God because you do more works. God loves you as much as He's ever going to love you the moment you say yes to the Lord Jesus. However, James is really emphasizing that good works demonstrate salvation, and he says that over and over. He says it three times in chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. Now, last week we talked about controlling the evil tongue, and I don't know if you remember this, but in the Hebrew it was Lashahara. hara, l'sha hara, the evil tongue, and it's any derogatory or damaging communication against an individual, whether spoken or thought. Isn't that something? (laughs) Yes. Why is it so bad? Because we are made in the image of God, the imago Dei, the image of God. And God does not want us to curse his image, to curse his image. Now, some obvious examples of this would be yelling, screaming, demeaning remarks, degrading remarks, sarcasm, sarcasm, oh, as they say something derogatory and, 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 and laugh and giggle about it while the other person is crushed. Gossip, all these things are obvious. Less obvious would be manipulative speech, uh, subtle negative speech. Uh, You can never make it, you're going to fail, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Those types of words would be subtle ways to put it through. Uh, Be prepared, though, to not just hear someone or you vent the evil tongue, because we all go into this. Remember, we're in and out of this whole thing, whether we're walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Uh, But also be ready to receive the evil tongue. And remember, we gave the example of the overhead where on the view where Joyce Behar was degrading Mike Pence and saying that because God speaks to him, he must be crazy. He must be schizophrenic. He's hearing things. And so that would be a la shahara. Be ready to receive these types of things from the world. We're living in a world that doesn't respect Christians at all. So expect it from the world. The world system does not like you. The world system will speak evil of you. And it's more and more that you are intolerant because you're a Christian, because you have biblical beliefs. More and more intolerant. Do you know that Mike Huckabee no longer is on the Country Music Association board because he was accused of being intolerant because he did not believe in gay marriage and abortion and that sort of thing, which now even the country music folks have gone over to embracing. So it's happening all at every venue. Jesus said to expect this. In Matthew 5.11, he said, Blessed are you when they revile, that means taunt you or speak disgracefully about you, revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. John 15.18, if the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you, Jesus speaking in 1520. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's something that we can expect from the world. It's expect from the world. But why? Why do they hate us so bad? Well, I can suggest to you three different things. There's different kingdoms. Look at all humans are either in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of the evil one, the kingdom of Satan. It is just that simple. There's no gray ground. There's no in-between. No in-between. So there's different kings. Is God your king or is Satan your king? There's different values in those kingdoms. And there's different worldviews. We have a biblical worldview that is very, very different than the secular worldview. So you're not going to be like. Now, the last thing I want to caution you about is using Lashah Haran, the evil tongue, against yourself. Against yourself with negative self-talk. This happens all the time. So what would it be? Self-deprecation. I'm no good. I'll never bake it. I'm useless. All these are false things that you are saying about yourself. You know why? Because God views you as his child. God views you as special. God views you as precious. He loves us. He loves us implicitly. So Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That includes self-condemnation. Do not use negative self-talk against yourself. In chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 last time, we saw the evil tongue can destroy. It defiles the whole body. It's set on fire by hell. Remember, it's Gehenna is hell. And that's the burning trash pit. That is what the evil tongue is viewed as by God, Gehenna. It's full of deadly poison in verse 8 last time. The evil tongue can hurt people. And remember, no one can tame the evil tongue. No human containment. It is something that only God can do in you. So to control your tongue, it won't happen by wishing and hoping. It will not happen that way. It will take work. You must feed upon God's word. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, we shared with the, this with you last time. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. This is what God gives you. This is when God, when Jesus comes to take up residence within you, this is what he gives you you have the ability to live this out. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. God wants to spend time with you. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. In Matthew verse chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus is speaking, and he says these words, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus got up early in the morning to meet with his father. And if he did that, who do else do you think needs to do that? That's us. We need to do that. We must spend time with God to control our tongues. Change my heart, O oh God, and my tongue will follow suit. Now, last thing before we move on to the new teaching. Before you speak, take a pause, take a time out. before you and, and think about this. Is what I'm saying honoring? Is it honoring to God? Is what I'm saying obedient to His word? And is what I'm saying kind to whom I am speaking? Is it honoring? Is it obedient? Is it kind? Use that as your as your guide as to whether you should speak or not to speak. This week, we're going to be talking about God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom, and there is a huge difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our hearts and ears to the truth. What we do not know teach us, and what you teach us help us to apply. We ask you right now to settle over this group of people, Lord, that every person here, all the folks, will have ears and eyes that are attentive to the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom. First of all, what is wisdom? Well, the word is Sophia. Sophia, in the Zadiades Greek text, it, it, he defines it this way. It's the knowledge of how to regulate one's relationship with God. The knowledge of how to regulate one's relationship with God. And then secondly, he says, it, to view life from God's perspective how to view life from God's perspective. That would be wisdom. That would be wisdom. Now, I have an overhead here for you to look at. It's slide number one, and it's not like this guy. Now, I want you to see something here. This guy is the American church Peter. Remember, he's going to be walking on water, and but notice how wise the American church Peter is. He's got his safety stuff on before he steps out into the water. He's got his little ducky on around his waist. He's got his little things on his arms. And he's got the world's wisdom because the world's wisdom puts their trust in themselves. And look at Jesus. He's just got his hand here going, Will he ever learn? I mean, sometimes I wonder if that's how God looks at us. Will we ever learn? That is not wisdom. That is not wisdom. He is not seeing things from God's perspective. That guy is not seeing things from God's perspective. So, with that stated, listen to this. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It is written by King Solomon, the wisest man other than the Lord Jesus that ever walked the earth. Okay? and chapter 8, which is, a, is one of the key wisdom chapters in, in Proverbs, has this to say. In chapter 8, verse 35. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Whoever finds me, whoever finds wisdom finds life and finds favor from the Lord. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Why was Solomon qualified to write this book? Why was he qualified? Well, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 6-12, through 12, we see these words. Solomon is taking the place of David. David is passing off the scene. Solomon, the the son, is being selected as the next king of Israel. And watch what Solomon does. And Solomon went up there to to the bronze altar before the Lord. He immediately sought the Lord. Wisdom immediately seeks the Lord. That's number one. Secondly, he went into the tabernacle, offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Now, a burnt offering in the Old Testament is full consecration to God. Whoever is offering the offering is fully consecrating themselves to God. Fully. After that, he had a dream. In verse 7, on that night, God appeared to Solomon. We know it's a dream in 1 Kings 3.5. And said to him, ask what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, you have shown great mercy to David my father and have made me king in his place. He's grateful. Now, O Lord, let your promise to David my father be established for you have made me king. He's got gratitude. You have made me king over people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now give me wisdom. And it isn't just wisdom for him to have knowledge and to be super super brilliant and that sort of thing, but wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before the people for who can judge this great people of yours, God. They're not my people, they're your people, God. Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, And you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or life of your enemies, nor have you asked for long life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any have after you, be like you. He asked for wisdom, and God gave him everything. And it was wisdom to lead God's people. It was other-directed and not self-directed. There are those who want nothing to do with godly wisdom. The Bible calls them fools. The Bible calls them fools. There are five types of fools in Judaism. The fool does not seek God's wisdom. Types of fools. There are five types of fools. The first type of fool is a simple fool called a pethe, a pethe fool. The simple fool opens his mind to any passing thought. Now, this is like when you go off to the university open your mind to any passing thought as you're being indoctrinated into a world system that's taking you away from God. The simple fool is vulnerable to seduction and lacks understanding of consequences of moral failures. A simple fool is teachable, though, is teachable. They can be easily taught. Now, these will accelerate into more difficult, difficult foolish people. The second fool is a you well, a silly fool, and it means to be perverse. The mouth of a silly fool gets him in trouble. He becomes angry very quickly. He is more difficult to teach than the simple fool. Then it progresses to the sensual fool, or a kessel. a kessel It means stupid, silly, unreasonable. He glories in that which he should be ashamed. And he is very difficult to teach. Very difficult to teach. Then it ramps up into a mocking fool. It's called a let's. He has contempt in his heart towards authority. He embraces that which is abominable to God. He expresses his scorn through bad attitudes and behavior and speech. This is the person that is not teachable. But notice that I am not saying not savable. All people are savable. God can reach anybody, even the next one, the God-denying fool, a Nabal. Because there have been many atheists that have been saved and come into the family of God when God reached down and saved them. So Nabals are stupid, wicked, totally rejects God and his ways. It is his goal, now listen to this, the Nabal's goal is to draw as many others as possible into his evil ways. And again, this person is really not teachable. He is the most difficult to deal with on that, spectrum, on that spectrum. Now, you have to be discerning and know whom you are speaking with. If you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 9, and I'll be focusing on verses 7 through 9. But while you're turning there, I'll give you a little preview of what we'll be talking about. This is another one of the chapters on wisdom on wisdom, God's wisdom. It says, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. Wisdom is strong. Wisdom is adequate. Wisdom is full. These are all Hebrew idioms for fullness and and, and stability and solidness. Wisdom cries out from the highest places of the city. God wants his people, wants people to walk in his wisdom. He's not hiding it from people. As for him who lacks understanding... Wisdom, she says to him, Come eat of my bread. Come and have wisdom and drink of wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. That is the plea. That is what God wants for humanity. Humanity. Now, watch in verse 7. This is what I want you to focus on. Now, we are told that we are to witness to people, but you must be discerning in your witness. He who corrects a scoffer. That would be a let someone who hates correction and authority gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. In other words, you can't just go barging into somebody without the Spirit leading you and pour it on them. Okay? You must allow the Spirit of God to open the door for you to speak truth to a person. He has to unblind them. He has to unblind them. Do not correct a scoffer a let lest he hate you. Oh, but rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. So, be discerning with whom you're speaking and when you speak. But when God opens the door, when the crack is open, and I'm telling you, sometimes it's a little teeny sliver. What do you do with your foot? You stick your foot in, wiggle it, open it up a little bit, and then give a word for the Lord. Don't use it as an excuse to say, oh, I'm not going to say anything because I don't see the, the, the wide open door. No, if he opens at a crack and a person allows you to speak truth to them, then speak the truth. But no, if they're not receiving it, there's a time to back off. There's a time to back off. So, where does wisdom start? Where does wisdom come from? What is its origin? Well, verse 10 tells you that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You cannot have wisdom and not fear God. And fearing God in this context, we've said this word before, it's yareh in the Hebrew, but it means awesome respect. It can't mean tremulous fear, but in this context, it means awesome respect for God. In order for you to walk in wisdom, you must start with awesome respect for God. So, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Job 28, 20, 28, 28 says this, there's evidence for those who say they fear God. So the evidence of fear of the Lord is depart from evil. You will see people that really fear God, they'll be changing their life and departing away from their old script, their old script and walking in newness of life. Our wisdom that we have in the New Testament age really comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks. Now when the Bible says Jews and Greeks they're encompassing all people groups. If you're either a Jew or you're a Greek or a Gentile. Okay? So all people groups. But those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. Look at, if you want God's wisdom, you must spend time with Jesus. It is just that simple. If you will not spend time with Jesus, you will not be able to walk this out in wisdom. The world will overwhelm you, your flesh will overwhelm you, and you will act like the world instead of like a child of the king. That is the truth. So, with that stated, verse 13 in our study today. So, James chapter 3, verse 13 how to identify godly wisdom. How to identify it in others and how to identify it in yourself. That's what you want. Who is wise, sophos, wise with respect to God and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. I want to show you something. There's going to be a slide up here. The Carol Burnett Show. Does anybody remember these characters on the Carol Burnett Show? Yeah, this is Mama, Vicki, Vicki Lawrence, and this is, her, this is her daughter and her son-in-law. Now, they're going to throw out some worldly wisdom. Watch what they say. Now, Mama, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. Well, that's kind of worldly wisdom. We know that, that God expects us to, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that there's benefit in being together. But there's also some truth to it, too, because you don't have to go to church to necessarily go to heaven. But really, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you're going to want to be part of a body. It's part of the natural thing for us to do. Many people in our world have accepted this. And what they have done is they've replaced the the body for for the television set in their living room. And now they can thumb through whoever they want because they have perfect worship and they have a perfect Bible teacher, but they're not involved. They're not involved in community. That is not what the church was designed to be. But watch what Mama says. Well, you don't have to wear a parachute to jump out of an airplane either, but it certainly helps. I'm telling you, we need each other. It certainly helps for us to be together. Anyway, I thought that was cute. Godly wisdom is identified by this. Good conduct, good behavior. The root idea is this. This is a life change by returning to the truth of God's word. That is the root of this. Good conduct is a life change by returning to the truth of God's word. We are leaving the land of the foolish when we turn to God's word. Remember that very important. Secondly, so it's identified by good conduct, and it's also de- identified by works done in meekness. In meekness, now meekness does not mean uh, jelly jellyfish. It does not mean spineless or spiritless. It is strength under control. Strength under control. Three examples, three examples, like a horse that's brought under control, like a brilliant teacher who could debate others without getting angry, or soothing medicine that brought comfort to a painful wound. Now, I want you to hear something. The qualifications for being wise has nothing to do with your IQ, has nothing to do with your IQ or your ability to pack away facts or your eloquent speech, has nothing to do with anything. The test of wisdom is a life that is patterned after the truth of God's word and is under control, submitted to God. Now, I want to show you someone. This man is a brilliant man. His name is Christopher Hitchens. Now, Christopher Hitchens was a philosopher, a writer, a literary critic. now He doesn't call himself simply an atheist. He doesn't want to have that coined which atheists do not believe in the existence of God. He calls himself an anti-theist, which he defines as relieved that there's no evidence for God. Now, I've just shared with you the cosmetological argument, the teleological argument, the moral argument. There's the anthropomorphic argument. There are many arguments that really strongly, strongly speak to the existence of God. I mean, how can someone look at the creation, the vastness, the heavens declare the glory of God, and see the expanse of this whole thing, right down to the micro-creation, right down to the cell level, where the DNA controls the function of a cell, produces amino acids in sequence, there's encoded information in DNA, but yet the people say there's no encoder. It just happened. There's no place that that happens. This is encoded information. The macro and the micro-creation give evidence of the existence of God. Now today, now he is a Nabal. He is a Nabal. He is a hardened fool. And unfortunately, Christopher Hitchens died in unbelief. But his brother, Peter Hitchens, two years younger, who shared his atheistic beliefs with his older brother, came to faith in the Lord Jesus. And at the end of their lives, they would debate the existence of God. Peter Hitchens and Christopher Hitchens. God can save anybody. God can save anybody. There's no one that's too far for our God to save. The tragedy of tragedies this man did not convert that we know of at the end of his life. What a what a shame. What a shame. Now, meekness. We're talking about meekness. Meekness is not. It's not setting the world straight with a billy club. Do you ever run into Christians who want to do that? I'm going to set you straight. Get right or get left, okay? (laughs) Billy Club Martial Law is what we call it. It's beating a family member or friend with the Bible. If they don't believe just like you, we get to beat them a little bit, okay? The moment they step out of line, don't meet my expectations, wham, they get the Billy Club. Now, our goal is this, godly wisdom with gentleness and meekness and control. That is what is attractive. Billy Club Martial Law is repulsive. When you speak the truth, speak it in love and gentleness, just like Jesus did. You know when Jesus didn't speak it in gentleness? When he was dealing with the Pharisees who were trying to take people away from him, leading them down the wrong path. Those he dealt very strenuously with. But to the sinner, he came to them gently. He came to them gently. Verse 14 and 15. How to identify counterfeit wisdom. The wisdom of the world. How do we identify it? What's going to tell you right here. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, does not come from God, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. It is of the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is what it's from. So a key sign. The key sign that you're dealing with worldly wisdom is this. It's all about self. All about me. Watch for this. Have some discernment. Your nemesis is bitter envy and self-seeking. These are twin evils. Envy is this. Envy has empty hands and mourns for what it does not have. Mourns for what it does. Wants what you have. Jealousy, conversely, has full hands, but is threatened by what it might lose. And then these lead to self-seeking, a desire to be seen or promoted. It reeks of pride. Self-seeking reeks of pride. And it happens to all of us at different times. We trample others underfoot to get to the top. And this always leads to lying and boasting against the truth. It tramples the truth. Do anything to get your way. This is what counterfeit world wisdom looks like. Anything to promote yourself. You see it modeled all the time. When you watch it in the media, you see it in the movies, in television, in the workplace. You see it on sports team. You see it in church. You see it in families. And you might even see it, yes, even in yourself from time to time. It can happen. We can be influenced by the world and act out of character to whom we really are. Counterfeit wisdom roots in verse 15 is the pit of hell. There's no question where it comes from. It's rooted in earthly, sensual, and demonic. World, flesh, devil. The triunity of evil that is working against you. That's where worldly wisdom is rooted. It's rooted in that. Satan is the counterfeit wisdom poster child. He manipulates people to accept his wisdom. Now, you realize this. Satan cannot read your mind, but he can certainly input into your soul, which is your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, your feeling. The demonic realm can input into your souls. That's why Scripture continually encourages you to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. The scripture encourages you in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You don't want to fall for what the the enemy is throwing at you. Because he wants to change the way your soul feels, your mind feels. That's what he works on. Your feelings and emotions and that sort of thing. Remember? Fact, faith, feeling. Fact. Fact. I believe God by faith, my feelings are the caboose. I am not trusting my feelings. Your feelings can lie to you. You realize that. It's a very important concept to realize. So he is, the, he is the master manipulator. He is the envier of enviers. He wants he wants envy. He wants what God has. That's what Satan wants. He's self-seeking in his heart. He boasts, he lies against the truth and he lies against God, and remember in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 and on, there's several I wills. I will ascend to the hill of God. I will be on the mount of God. I will be like God. I will be worshiped as God. And he says this over and over and over. He claws, he manipulates, he deceives to get his way. Make no mistake about this. The world's wisdom is under the control of Satan. The flesh bows to the world and is attracted, is attracted to the world's wisdom. And the demonic realm is under control of Satan, and it is there to deceive you and to discourage you and to destroy you. Make no mistake about this. The attack is on the soul, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That word lust is, is epithumia, is upon the mind upon the mind. Satan is against you, he hates you, and he wants you to live in his counterfeit wisdom world. That is what he wants. Identify this when this happens. Identify the envy. Identify the self-seeking. Identify the boasting. Identify the lies and stop and turn to God and you will be ecstatic that you did. Verse 16, the fruit of counterfeit wisdom, what it produces. Now listen, this is very important. When you see this happening around you, take a pause. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Confusion and every evil thing are there. Now that's the truth. Make no mistake, when you take Satan's counterfeit wisdom bait, and we've all taken it from time to time, There's none of us that are walking through this perfect, okay? The fruit of counterfeit wisdom, when you walk in the world's ways, will be confusion and every evil thing will be there. Satan is a master manipulator. And he will encourage you to justify your sin, to make excuses for your sin. And by the way, this is one of the things we do best, blame everyone around us. You caused this. It's your fault. It's your fault. God wants you to live with a transformed mind and start to look more and more like Jesus. Satan wants the status quo. When you start to change your life, when you get born again, hear this. This is important. When you get born again, immediately the kingdoms are transferred. You're transferred into the kingdom of light from the kingdom of darkness. Immediately, God looks at you pure, and, and, and you are pure and righteous before God. He looks at you as he looks at his son. That's called justification. But you are born a baby. You are born a baby. And you are in the process, the rest of your life, being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Satan does not want that process to take place. So he'll do everything he can to thwart that process. He can't do anything to you because you belong to the king. But he can stumble you or make you fall and make you feel uh, invaluable. Satan wants the status quo. He wants you to live like you were living. It isn't just him. It is your flesh wants the status quo. Remember Watchman Nee? And I gave some examples from Watchman Nee, that our soul will do everything that it can to maintain the status quo. The old ways. Get me back to the old comfortable ways. That's what the soul wants to do. God wants you to move beyond that and to be transformed and changed. And then the world, of course, is is working against you, wants you to be the same old you. You look at your friends. What's wrong with you? You got religion. You got some disease. You got some you got religion. You know, because you're you're not doing the same things you used to. They want you back the way that you were. That's what they want you back at. When you fall. For the counterfeit wisdom, watch your world around you turn to confusion and chaos. You watch it happen. And when it does, take a pause. Our responsibilities identify the counterfeit, the chaos, the confusion, and change course. Change course. Now look, you can be walking in God's wisdom, and life can still be confusing and chaotic. But you don't want to exacerbate this by not walking with God and walking in the world's ways. We live in an environment that is counter to the Christian. So it will always be difficult on this side. But if you see your world getting worse and worse and worse, take a pause. Take a pause. Where are you at in this, God, and where do you want me to be at in this? Where do you want me to be at in this? Then you're acting with wisdom. Now, what do we look for? What am I looking for in myself? And what am I looking for in the world around me and people around me? Well, verse 17 and 18, the fruit of godly wisdom are these. But the wisdom that is from above from God is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What godly wisdom looks like. Now, verse 13 started out with good conduct and meekness. When when these are sown, good conduct and meekness are sown, the fruit of that, the supernatural fruit of that is produced. And it starts with purity, pure, pure. Now, it's the greatest of importance. It's rated number one because it is number one. And pure has to do with salvation. God has made me pure in his sight when I am saved. That is where it starts. You cannot have any wisdom without salvation. Purity. So what it actually means, without contamination, not simply morally clean, but your motives are clean. Then it progresses to peaceable. Counterfeit wisdom leads to rivalry and war. Bitter envy, self-seeking, boasting and lying. Godly wisdom produces a peaceable nature. It helps with relationships rather than tearing them apart. It's peaceable, but peace is never obtained at the expense of truth. Do not compromise the truth for the sake of peace. And then it will be gentle. It does not hold one's feet to the fire, even when the person has a right to. William Barclay says this. Now, please, this is very important. The man who is gentle is the man who knows when it is actually wrong to apply the strict letter of the law. He knows how to forgive when strict justice gives him a right to condemn. I have a right to do this. He knows how to make allowances when not to stand up for his rights, how to temper justice with mercy, with mercy. Always remember that there are greater things in the world and rules and regulations. That was a good word from William Barclay. Listen to Matthew Arnold. He called it sweet reasonableness, and it is the ability to extend to others the kindly consideration we wish to receive ourselves. Look at this is the way God deals with us. He deals with us gently. Godly wisdom is gentle. It does not extract justice. It does not hold someone's feet to the fire. It does not treat us, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, but by his mercy has saved us. Psalm 103, I mean, he does not, if he did, we would all be dust. We would all be dust. The next fruit is willing to yield. That means teachable, easily persuaded, easy to work with. It's the opposite of being stubborn, obstinate, getting your own way. Always right attitude. That is someone that is not willing to yield. And then the next, full of mercy and good fruits. This mercy is compassion for the suffering. It's And good fruits are the action that flow from mercy and actually gets involved. It's one thing to have mercy and compassion, but real mercy gets involved. And then without partiality or without prejudice, sees from a scriptural standpoint, not a cultural standpoint, that we are all equally loved by God. The greatest prejudice that we are seeing today is not racial, it's not gender-driven, but it's prejudice against Christians. That is the greatest prejudice that we are experiencing today. And it's going to be ramping up. And if you look at the number of martyrs throughout the world, you have to agree with that. Because our generation is seeing more martyrs than at any time in the history of the world. We are just insulated from it here in America. But throughout the rest of the world, people are dying in droves for their faith. And then finally, fruit is without hypocrisy. That means not a pretender, not a mask wearer. Remember, a hypocrite was an actor who would wear a mask. Not a mask wearer, not two-faced. True wisdom is not deceptive, it is simply honest. True wisdom is real. True wisdom is real. In verse 18, the fruit of godly wisdom is peace and righteousness. That is what is attractive. When you see these fruits, you are living a life of godly wisdom. You're living a life of godly wisdom. In closing, in conclusion, godly wisdom versus the world's wisdom. Since you live in the world, now please, since you live here, you know what it's like. We're influenced by the world, and we are in a process of being indoctrinated by the world. It's happening all the time. All media is is most—I can't say 99 percent of the media. What is written? It's all there to indoctrinate you. Starts in kindergarten or preschool, goes all the way through higher education, and then now it's into the workplace. It's into every facet of our society in indoctrination into a worldview that is anti-God. The world's wisdom can seep in to your thinking. This is Satan's goal, to be influenced by the world's values. Like a frog in the water that's being boiled, not knowing we are being boiled alive, we are being affected by this wor- by the world's wisdom. Now, our battle is clear. Our battle is clear. It is to combat the world and its wisdom. We are cannot be passive bystanders in this. We are to combat the world's wisdom, its propaganda, its lies, and its disinformation that denies God's presence. We have to contend for the faith, just like it said in Jude. Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to all the saints. Contend for the faith. We must realize it's a spiritual war. The battlefield is the battlefield of the mind, the thickened hearts, the dulled minds, the blindness that people have. Now, if we are going to engage in this battle, we must be sure that our hearts and our minds are right. Are we genuinely walking in faith? Do we experience every moment of our lives as a gift from God? Do we directly encounter the teacher? Do we direct? It would be Jesus within our hearts, or are we merely imposters or pretenders, or are we really possessors of godly wisdom? That's the question. I just want to go on to say this: to be passive. Or to resign oneself is to abandon our post and fall for the worldly wisdom that is rooted in Satan. We do not want to do that. Remember Proverbs 8.35, it's a great memory verse, great memory verse. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Obtains favor from the Lord. The difference between the world's wisdom and the godly wisdom is stark. There's no gray with this. It is literally light and darkness. Light and darkness. We are of the light and we are to walk in the light as he is in the light in 1 John 1, verse 7. When you see your old ways, the world's wisdom creeping in, confront it. Confront it. Do not be passive with it. Confront it. Confront it. When you... When your life is filled with confusion and every evil thing, as it says in verse 16, and your life is a mess, take a pause. Confront what is going on. Ask yourself, ask yourself, am I relying on soulish wisdom, the world's wisdom, or am I acting in godly wisdom? Am I responding to my feelings, to my feelings? Things that might help you discern this are the following. Number one, use the motives test. Use the motives test. Are my motives pure or are my motives impure and self-directed? Pure motives are morally clean motives. They are from God. They are from God. And number two, use the peace test. Am I really seeking peace in this situation or am I just seeking my way? am i willing to yield am i gentle am i willing to yield is what i am doing tearing down or building up and remember we do not we do not facilitate peace by compromising truth by compromise we don't do that use the mask wearer test am i two faced am i acting one way with this group and another way with that group Am I a chameleon just blending in depending upon whom I'm with? Ask yourself, am I real? Am I real? Am I a straddling between two kingdoms, which you cannot do? You know, Christians that try to straddle between the world and God are miserable. They are miserable. And finally, number four, use the righteousness test. Do I have the fruit of righteousness? Does my life look like godly wisdom? Am I looking more and more like Jesus? Or am I reverting back to my old ways all the time? Is my soul so strong within me that I'm being drawn back to the old ways? Ask yourself that. You might be acting in the world's wisdom. I want to look more like Jesus. Is my life truly honoring to God, obedient to God, And am I really kind to others? Remember, uh, honoring, obedient, and kind. Chuck Swindoll says this James wants to apply godly wisdom to our personal lives and relationships. He asks the question Is there peace in your home? Are you at peace with those in your church, in your family, in your life, in your workplace? If not, check out what kind of seed you are sowing. If you're sowing worldly wisdom, you will reap disorder in every evil thing. If you sow God's wisdom, you'll reap peace. Again, Proverbs eight thirty eight, excuse me, eight thirty five. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Godly wisdom versus the world's wisdom, there is a big, big difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have revealed truth to us. Thank you that you have placed us in this world, not to just endure the world, but to impact the world. You have called us to be ambassadors, to represent you while we are here. And may we represent you honorably. May we display the characteristics of wisdom that you have described here today may we interact with our in our world with purity and peace righteousness those sorts of things and may they see that we are different because we belong to you the king of kings and the lord of lords there is no place for compromise for us the lines have been drawn so lord as our culture becomes darker may we become lighter may we become more of an impact and the people that we come in contact with. May we walk in the truth of your word. I challenge every person here today to memorize that verse, Proverbs 8.35, and I challenge them to every day be in your word so that we can walk this walk with godly wisdom and not be overwhelmed with the world's wisdom. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Please speak to each heart today in their area of need and the changes that need to take place. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.